Well, good morning, my name is Zach. I am part of the staff team at Central. And for the next 20 minutes or so, we're gonna take some time now together to read scripture and reflect on what we think God is saying to us through it. We're starting a new sermon series this week and we're looking in John's Gospel and the chapter nine, chapter 11, and we're looking at the story of Lazarus. And uh, actually we planned this sermon series, these three week series at the start of the year, thinking that it'd be helpful for us to reflect on grief and suffering and how we follow Jesus in the midst of that. And so if anything, it feels more relevant for us now, doesn't it? As we face this unseen enemy of COVID-19 and with many of us feeling like we have unanswered questions and legitimate concerns and worries. And so as we dive into this passage together, I pray that for each of us, it helps us to see more and more that the best place that we can find ourselves, even with our frustrations, our grief, and our questions is in the presence of Jesus. And even more than that, I want to suggest that this passage teaches us that we can begin to see God revealed to us in the midst of these places. And even through us in this time, revealed to others as we wrestle with this stuff and bring it before God. And so we're going to read John chapter 11 together now. The uh, passage should appear on the screen, but also feel free to join me by reading it in your own Bibles. That's John chapter 11 from verse 1 through 7, and then we'll jump down to 17 through 22. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He is from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he was there two more days, and then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And we're going to stop there for this morning. Um, for many of us, we know where this story ends, don't we? That Lazarus will be raised from the dead. But often, more often in our lives, we'll find ourselves sitting here, somewhere in the middle of the story. Last weekend, I read a number of posts on social media that talked about Holy Saturday and the fact that this day in the Christian calendar where we is where we find ourselves most often. In between death and resurrection, blessing and battle, trusting in the hope of resurrection to come, and knowing that Jesus has died for us, but experiencing loss and grief and with unanswered questions. Pete Gregg uh, leads the 24-7 prayer movement globally, and he put it like this last weekend. Holy Saturday seems to me to describe the place in which many of us live much of our lives waiting for God to say something or do something or make sense of the things we're experiencing. We know that Jesus died for us yesterday. We trust that there may be miracles tomorrow. But what of today, the eternal Sabbath when heaven is silent? Where, we wonder, is God now?
that might not be where you feel you are right now. You might be seeing amazing miracles and you might be seeing God meet every one of your needs in the midst of this crisis. But all of us at some stage will find ourselves here. And it's likely we will if we haven't already at some point in the next few months, if not at some point later in our lives. So no matter how we find ourselves this morning, all of us can engage with this passage in scripture together. So what do I think that we learn in this passage? I think it teaches us two things. First, it teaches us about the character of God, which is so incredibly important for us to grasp just now, to understand more fully who God is, because when we get a better, bigger picture of God, we become more aware of the ways he's working around us. And specifically for us in this time, we become aware of the ways that he's working in the midst of this pandemic. And through that, the second thing that I think we learn is the ways that we can respond to God in these circumstances. It give, this passage gives us language that we can use. And so this morning, I want to take some time to unpack those two things. Firstly, the character of God. I think this passage in scripture gives us an incredible picture and insight into the character of God. If you look at verse four, Jesus has just been informed that Lazarus is incredibly ill. And he responds by saying, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so what we see being revealed in this story is something of God's glory, his beauty, his renown, something of his nature. That's what Jesus suggests we'll get a better picture of as we read. I don't know about you, but if I'm completely honest, on surface reading, that could actually make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It almost, almost sounds like God is saying he needs us to suffer in order for us to see how great he is. But that categorically cannot be the, cl- the case, right? That is not the God we worship and believe in. And so if, in order for us to understand this properly, we need to go a little bit deep, think a little bit theologically around what Jesus means when he says that the glory of God will be revealed. Because if we're not careful, we could print the world's understanding of glory and examples of glory onto God. And when we do that, that's when we start getting into dangerous territory thinking about who God is. And so what do we naturally think of when we hear the word glory? One of my favourite Disney Pixar films is The Incredibles. Has anyone else seen it? Anyone else's favourite? If you subscribe to Disney Plus, then you might have actually watched it recently. Um, The premise of the film is this. We have this family of superheroes and the dad is called Mr. Incredible and he is desperate to relive his glory days. He sees the posters in his study of him winning awards and medals and so he decides to secretly begin to relaunch his vigilante superhero career. And so he checks police scanners, he starts fighting criminals and then throughout the rest of the film he slowly but surely realises that this way of looking at his life completely misses the fact that his family, in amongst all of their squabbling and and disobeying dirty nappies and school reports, hurt and successes, are in fact his glory as much as his powers are. They describe who he is more fully, more powerfully, more holistically than those newspaper headlines ever could. There aren't many ways that we still use this word glory. 
but the way that Mr. Incredible first initially understands it is one of the ways that our culture does too, right? The glory of a sports team is when they've won the most leagues or medals. The glory of a country's history is often in the winning of wars and military prowess. This view is narrow, it's often about winning and success-driven and self-centred. And it's not really the way that Jesus is using this term, glory. In scripture, we see God's glory when we see his character revealed to us and when it inspires us to worship. And the word glory that scripture uses in the Hebrew, it doesn't really translate that well into English, but it kind of loosely means weight, significance, importance, fullness. There's the fullness of God's goodness, his holiness, his compassion, his power. And so where do we see the glory of God being revealed in scripture? Well, we're certain in the different points when we read about it that we will never fully grasp it because God is God and we are created by him. But when we do look at those glimpses throughout scripture, what we see is that God does choose to show us some of who he is. And the way that God chooses to show us actually gives us an incredible picture. So if you have time this week, if you have time this week at home, then do a word search on Google of the Bible for the word glory and read some of the accounts that we, we see of God's glory being revealed to his people. There's one which I love, which we don't have time to go into t- this morning, but it's um, in the second book of the Bible where Moses asks God to reveal his glory and God shows him his glory. And the passage in Exodus 33 is amazing um, as it describes something of who God is. But the place where I want us to focus this morning, I think the place that brings all of this into focus is John chapter 17, the same gospel we were just reading, just a few pages later on. And in this chapter, in this passage, we get a glimpse of how God the Father and God the Son relate to one another. We get a glimpse into the nature and character of God, of how God works. Jesus, in this intimate moment, is praying to his Father, and he says this, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. What is Jesus praying about here? He's praying about the cross. It's crazy, isn't it? And so what does that tell us? It tells us that on the cross, we will see displayed clearly the character of God. At the cross, God the Son, Jesus, shows us the nature of the Father, the holy, just, deeply loving God who gives his Son entirely for us to deal with our sin completely and finally and restore us to relationship with him. And then God the Father literally raises Jesus from the grave three days later, affirming that he is God and worthy to be worshipped. And so we see displayed before us is this God who has such a deep compassion that he suffers for us and yet also in the midst of it reveals his power his resurrection and restoration plan all of these things are tied together into the revelation of God and his nature in this momentous incomparable incredible act we see the glory of God we see his character revealed this is our God this is our God who doesn't remain at a distance but who comes close to us 
And so with this better, bigger understanding of God's glory before us, how then do we approach this passage we read earlier in John chapter 11? I think here we see that the same is true of how God, in his loving kindness, meets us, reveals himself to us in our suffering, in our grief. So let's return to this passage again. Let's look at verse from verse 17. And Jesus at this stage has just arrived in Bethany and we discover that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And we have read and we know at this point that Jesus has said that we're going to get a greater glimpse into who God is through the outworkings of this story. And what he does first is incredibly revealing. He doesn't go straight to the tomb even though that might be the place where we will see God's power working most clearly. Instead, he encounters Martha and gives her, gives her the space to grieve. Did you notice that? Even though he knows what is to come, that resurrection is literally around the corner, he chooses to stop. He directs his attention towards Martha and he lets her grieve. In fact, more than that, he lets her challenge him. He lets her ask, why? Why did this happen? Why didn't you come sooner? Does that question feel familiar to us? I wonder if it's one that many of us have asked at some point in our lives. And this is Jesus being revealed here. This is the Jesus that we love and worship. The Jesus who opens his arm wide to us, who cares so deeply for Martha that he receives her completely in her doubts, in her mix of questions and faith, even though he, get, he sees the full picture, even though he sees things much better than she does. And he knows the resurrection is just coming, is just round the corner. And so what does this teach us about who God is? It reveals that God meets us where we are, who validates our suffering. He gives space for our questions. His power doesn't overwhelm or undermine us, but carries us and works through us with compassion, with grace, with forgiveness, and with mercy. The same that is true for Martha is true for us. When we turn to God, we find his arms wide open, ready to receive us, even in our grief, in our suffering, without undermining or overwhelming what we're experiencing or feeling. Even though resurrection is just around the corner to an eternal God, he still meets us this way. And that's the God who meets with us this morning. Because this is the glory of God. This is the character and nature of God. This is the God that we worship. In fact, we were just singing words to this effect when Amy was leading us earlier. In my need, his power is displayed. Those two things aren't at odds with each other. They, they're not conflicting. The two are held together. In my need, his power is displayed. If that is the nature of God revealed here, then what can we learn from the way that Martha interacts with Jesus? How can we look at it again from Martha's perspective? And I want to look particularly at verses 21 and 22 from Martha's perspective. And I think through that we learn two key things about how Martha responds and therefore how we can respond. First, our questions, 
Our doubts, our insecurities and our worries are welcome in God's presence. This isn't the first or the last time that someone asks God why. The final words of Jesus on the cross are the same words. Why? Why have you forsaken me? That's what we read last weekend, isn't it? If the Son of God can ask God why, there is no better place we could bring those questions than before our Heavenly Father. God is big enough to hear those questions. In fact, I think we learn here that this is exactly the right place, the right context for us to ask the hard questions. We don't need to rationalize, we don't need to explain it away, we don't need to deny how we feel, but we bring all of it before our Father in heaven. I wonder what questions have we been worried about asking God in this season? Or where have we wanted to ask why? but chosen not to. I hope this morning we feel permission to do that again because we're in good company when we do. And second and crucially, while those questions still remain unanswered, Jesus doesn't answer the why in that moment. Martha affirms her relationship to Jesus and what she knows of God's faithfulness and power. I know who you are. She says, I know what you can do. At this stage, she doesn't know whether resurrection is around the corner or not. But we see even in the way that she engages with Jesus in this conversation, that she can ask why and still at the same time remain close and in deep relationship with God. In fact, her ability to ask why reveals that she knows who God is. That his character is unchanging and that he's for us even when our circumstances suggest otherwise. I want to come towards the end by sharing some of my story to help ground some of this kind of heavy head thinking stuff we've been doing for the last 18 minutes or so. Uh, if you uh, were part of the 915 gathering, you'll have already heard it, um, but apologies if you, if you have, um, but I think it's helpful for us just now. So I am the eldest of three in my family. I was born in 1989, so just about can class myself an 80s kid, even if it is at the end of the 80s. My parents didn't really have a faith. Um, my dad's faith would probably be described as nominal. He believed there was a God, but um, wouldn't have prayed or gone to church. My mum was strongly atheist and she didn't allow any conversation of God in the house. Much of my extended family actually still don't have faith to this day. Um, and at the age of two, my dad was asked to go offshore to the North Sea. He works as an engineer and uh, he was asked to inspect an oil rig uh, he was working with. And the weather was awful. There were heavy blizzards, three-storey waves, but the work needed done. And so the company went ahead with trying to transport 12 men, including my dad, from the accommodation rig to the oil rig. And the helicopter um, lost control of the helicopter. The helicopter pilot lost control of the helicopter and it crashed into the North Sea. Um, my dad managed to get out, but he was claustrophobic, so he'd unzipped some of his wetsuit a little bit. And so uh, while he waited in the water for 40 minutes for rescue to arrive, he died of hypothermia. As you can imagine, um, it completely shocked and broke our family. Um, we found out in the middle of the night when police arrived at the door 
I was just a toddler at the time. My mum was nursing my sister, who was just about six months old. And um, we couldn't really ex explain what had happened. My mum wasn't a Christian, and so she tried to say to me that uh, my dad was living in my heart. I didn't understand that. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Um, I still expected him to come through the door. I didn't understand where he'd gone. Um, about a few months later, we decided to go on holiday together. Um, we went to Tenerife and uh, we did that partly to get away from all of the noise that was going on around us. Once they had been published in the papers, uh, kind of, we were hounded by the press at different points as a family. So we decided to escape for a little while. And one of the days when we were um, in the hotel in Tenerife, uh, my sister and I were playing by the pool. I was now three as she was about 18 months at the time. And uh, we were playing in the water and uh, we just completely stopped moving. My mum says that we were standing completely still in the water. And uh, that's a bit unusual for a three-year-old and an 18 month old. Um, but after a few minutes, we got excited and ran out of the water and I ran straight to my mum and said, God has spoken to me. God is good, God is my friend, that God has taken my daddy out of the water and that God has taken all of the daddies out of the water. In that point, I didn't know anyone else had lost people. My mum had tried to protect me from the detail of the accident. And then I said um, what could only be described as like John 14, but the Gospel of John chapter 14, but in kids' language, I said um, that God is making a home for me and for my mummy and for Brittany, my sister, when we die. And then I kept saying, God is good. God is my friend. And I had a sense of peace from that day, which hasn't left me till today. It didn't fix everything. We were still a broken family. Um, but we had a sense of hope, which we carried with us. And my mum, off the back of that encounter, started to pursue God and came to faith. And my mum and I both got baptised seven years later um, at the same uh, baptism service. Uh, obviously, in the midst of that, God didn't answer why for us as a family. And in fact, I don't think I'd ever want to know in this lifetime uh, uh, an answer to that question. I don't think any would satisfactorily or helpfully um, explain some of the grief and suffering that we faced. But what I can say confidently is that the glory of God was revealed in my young life, in the midst of my suffering, with kindness and compassion and love and mercy and with restoration and power and it's redirected my life since then. As I come to close, I wonder if there are some people who have tuned in uh, by accident or have been invited uh, by friends or neighbours this morning and you just um, don't know, you may be just starting to explore faith for yourself and asking the question if God is real. And I wonder if this morning something's been stirring in you as you've been hearing stories and you know, been joining in with our singing and, um, and you want to respond to it and you want to say yes to God and you want to bring those questions that you have to him and to trust him as the one who saves. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray if that is you and I'd love you to join me in that prayer. And if it is you, then please do get in touch with us. Um, there'll be lots of ways to do that on our website or you can email myself, Zach, at centralchurch.co.uk. We'd love to hear that. And then for others of us um, in our church family, I wonder 
if we if we do have faith but we find ourselves distancing ourselves from god in this season could it be that we're doing that because god hasn't met our expectations of glory because we're not winning right now because we don't have success in financial security and we thought that we would like subtly subconsciously as christians we thought we might have an easy life and i wonder if this morning god wants to meet with us afresh and remind us of who he is of reveal who he really is to us and how he wants to meet with us in the midst of this so i'm just going to give us 30 seconds to pause and to reflect ourselves what god might be saying to us in the midst of this this morning and then i'll pray Father God, we come before you now afresh and say, show us your glory. Show us who you are. Show us the way that you're working in the midst of this pandemic. Thank you that we can come to you with our questions. We can ask why. And the best place we can ask those questions is in your presence. And for those of us who are praying just now, but have never prayed before, or who want to commit to you, God, God, I pray with that we together, we remake this commitment to you. We say, God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you pursued us to the point of death on a cross. And Jesus, we say that we put our trust in you. We trust you as our savior. We trust you as the God who comes and walks with us and wants to dwell with us and wants to show us what life is really about. We say yes to you again this morning. Amen.